0: And let's go to Mark chapter 1 tonight as we begin our series this evening, following the servant son of God through the gospel of Mark. Um, Somebody quiz question, how many gospels are there in the Bible? Four, very good. Four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, These are what we know of as the four gospels. Mark is the briefest, the shortest. Of the four Gospels. Let me just give you some background information before we read the first few verses here tonight. Again, tonight is just going to be an introductory message on the book of Mark and who Mark is mainly. Um, And then we may get into the first few verses here. But before we go any further, why don't we pray and just ask the Lord's blessings upon this series, upon the message tonight, and that He would apply it however He sees fit to our own individual hearts this evening. Lord, we pray that tonight. Lord, we come before you. Thank you for the songs that we've sung. Thank you for the music that we've heard. Lord, for all that we've already talked about. Lord, for the prayer requests and the announcements, the things that we have going on. Lord, may all this redound to your glory and honor in our church. Lord, thank you for our church family. Lord, thank you for all the folks who make up this body of believers. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us now as we enter into a new uh, series. Uh, for a little while, going through one of the Gospels. Lord, that you led certain people to write and record, and then, Lord, you have so miraculously preserved so that we could be sitting here in 2018 reading these things. Lord, I pray that you'll help us through this series, that, God, you will help each one of us to apply the things that we see as we come across verses and, and truth in the Bible to our own hearts and lives. God, I pray from the very start, that we will see Jesus Christ for who he is, Lord, specifically in the way that you wanted him to be seen in the book of Mark. Lord, I pray that your blessings will be upon it, that you'll lead us and guide us with your Holy Spirit. And God, may Jesus Christ be honored and glorified. Be with us tonight now in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, Mark is the briefest of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the four Gospels, it is, we believe, and uh, the things that I have read, almost everybody believes that it is the earliest written gospel. You might think, well, Matthew was the first written gospel because it's the first one in the book. Well, no, Mark actually, it is believed, was written before Matthew, before Mark, before Luke, and before John. Um, it was written before the death of Paul. Now, you remember where we left Paul when we concluded the book of Acts? Somebody remind me, where was Paul? What city was he in? In Rome. He was in Rome. Uh, A.D. 63, 64, somewhere around that time is where Paul was in Rome. As far as we know, he never left Rome. He died there. Um, He might have gone elsewhere, but we don't know that for sure, and it's unlikely. But around that very same time that Paul is in Rome, where we left him in the book of Acts, Mark is writing the first gospel record. Um, so written before the death of Paul, but definitely not later than the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, and there are reasons for believing that. We won't have time to get into tonight. The writing of the book of Luke is excitement. It's it's action-packed. Um, uh, let me put something up here. I've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a couple of words that appear in this book over and over again. Matter of fact, nearly 40 times... You see the word immediately, and you see the word straightway. Immediately, straightway. Those words appear all the time through this book. Um, I had them appear up here uh, very quickly so we could see just how fast. Ooh, it's, it's action, action-packed. Um, it is characterized by directness, by brevity, by bluntness, and by action. action somebody said action-packed gospel, which emphasizes the sheer power of Jesus Christ over all obstacles. Let me read you something else that I found I thought was really good. The the Gospel of Mark is the gospel of action, vigorous and vivid. Entering at once on the Lord's official public career, it bears us on from one mighty deed to another with a peculiar swiftness of movement, and yet with the life of picturesque detail. Power over the visible and invisible worlds, especially as shown in the casting out of devils, is the prominent characteristic of the picture. Peter saying to Cornelius, Peter's saying to Cornelius has been well noticed as a fit motto for this gospel. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. That's a great little introduction to the book of Mark. Who was Mark? Well, we've met him already through our series in the book of Acts. And you may remember that. His name is actually John Mark. Uh, John Mark, uh, his Jewish name was John, and his Latin surname uh, was Mark. This is the same John Mark that we found In the book of Acts, with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. We'll talk about that in just a second. Christ's resurrection had long since passed. Jesus had left his small band of followers uh, on this earth. He had prayed for them. He went to the cross. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. And then some days later, he ascended back to the throne in heaven and left this band of followers to carry on the message of the gospel. In this world, and that's where we picked it up in the book of Acts. Soon, persecution arose against the bold followers of the Messiah and the apostles of Jesus Christ. When the apostle Paul, I'm not sorry, when the apostle Peter, and I'm going to have to be careful with that in this series, I'm going to have to go to Peter now. When the apostle Peter was put into prison, a young John Mark uh, was likely with that first group of Christians who were in the, that home desperately praying for Peter. The home that those Christians were in, and how many you remember that story? Peter's in prison, they're praying for, for Peter. The home that those Christians were meeting in praying was the mother of John Mark. Uh, that's whose home they were in praying. John Mark has very close connection with the apostles, and especially with Peter. And that's very interesting, and I'll bring that back up in just a minute. Um his mother, John Mark's mother, Luke tells us about her in Acts chapter 12. Again, Luke is the man who God used to write the book of Acts. All these different characters. It's really amazing when you study who God used and how he used them. Um, but Luke wrote the historical account of Acts, who also wrote the gospel of Luke, right? Are y'all with me tonight? The gospel of Luke and Mark wrote the gospel of Mark. Now, Luke told us in Acts chapter 12, and when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was what? Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So here we are told that the home they were gathered in was John Mark's home, a young man who God later uses to write this gospel that we're about to enter into and study. Um, It is believed that this mother... um, Mary of John Mark was probably a wealthy woman. These were probably wealthy people, and we believe that one reason is they obviously had a very large home, um, a large space for these people to be gathering in. Living in Jerusalem, these people, this this lady and these people were personal friends of Peter and the hostess of the Christian disciples after Pentecost took place. They began meeting in the same home for the first church there in Jerusalem after Pentecost. Some even believe, and we're going to get back into this later as we get into the book of Mark, but you, remember a story in Mark, it's an odd story, of a young man who was present in Gethsemane, and he had, the Bible tells us he had this cloak on, and when he left he had not, no cloak on, he went away naked, and, and it's kind of an odd story there, and many believe it's there because that was John Mark in that story, and, and I'll leave that there for now um but we'll we'll come back to that as we go through the passage but um he, he may have been a young man that was actually watching the proceedings in Gethsemane when Christ was taken to the cross from a safe distance in Mark 14 and many believe I don't know if this is true that the last supper may have even taken place in the upper portion of this same home we don't know that for sure but the point is this was a very central location. This was a very important spot in Jerusalem in the early days of the gospel, in the early days of the church, and John Mark was right in the middle of it. After Peter was released from prison, <clears throat> Mark is believed to come, have become a close companion and assistant of Peter for some years. The reason this is important And let me give you a verse here. It's also believed that Mark was a spiritual son of Peter. In other words, Peter probably brought John Mark to Jesus Christ. Look at the verse that Peter says in his epistle of 1 Peter, the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, and that's John Mark, my son. So from this verse, many conclude that it was Peter who actually led John Mark to Jesus Christ and brought him to the Lord. And John Mark, and this is without without dispute, John Mark became a close personal assistant and friend to the Apostle Peter himself. And here's something that's so interesting. The Gospel of Mark is very likely the account of Peter. The account of Peter relaying the Gospel message to Mark and Mark writing it down. Now Mark obviously had other... Uh, others he was talking to as well. But this is, most the things that I have read and looked into, this is the case that the majority of the Gospel of Mark is the account of Peter himself. You say, why didn't God just use Peter to write his own God? Why don't we have a Gospel of Peter? I don't know. But do you believe God knows everything? Knows what he's doing? Has a reason? Has a purpose? Peter sometimes stuck his foot in his mouth a lot, didn't he? And you know, it kind of gives me A better understanding as to why this book is action-packed, right? (laughs) Brief, brevity, boom, bang. Well, that's how Peter was, wasn't it? I don't know. Maybe that's why the book tends to have that personality. Isn't it neat how God's inspired word takes on the personality of the people that he used to put it down and to tell the accounts? God is an amazing God, what he's done. And this book of Mark has, has much to do with the testimony of Peter. Let me continue on with what the story I was going through there. Paul, all this is happening, uh, Peter out of prison, P- Mark comes to Christ through the ministry of Peter. Well, suddenly this man named Paul, a great persecutor of the church, John Mark knows of Saul of Tarsus, of course Peter knows Saul of Tarsus, and all of a sudden this guy actually becomes a Christian. We talked about that in the book of Acts. Huh, who can believe that? But that takes place. During the early days of Paul's conversion, a man named Barnabas, who we read about in Acts, trusted Paul, when probably many others weren't going anywhere near that. But Barnabas trusted Paul and helped to convince him and the other Christian leaders of Paul's true conversion. He truly had come to Christ. And then we read in the book of Acts how Barnabas and Paul became the first two to take the trip, the first missionary trip, First of all, though, before they went out on their missionary journey, where did they go? They went down to Jerusalem, and when they went down to Jerusalem, they grabbed a young man while they were down there and took him back out with them. Who was that? John Mark. They got John Mark, who, by the way, is Barnabas' cousin. So we're all in a family here, aren't we? It's all kind of gathered together here, Uh, the mother of John Mark, who had the home that they were meeting in, was apparently the sister to Barnabas. And Barnabas' cousin is John Mark, who Paul and Barnabas take with them, and they set out on that very first missionary journey, beginning in Antioch and then going out from there. So you know the story of that. didn't end real well. Along the way, John Mark left the group in a place called Perga. A conflict of some sort caused John Mark to leave them and he returned back home to Jerusalem. To this day, we do not know what the reason was for that. Many conclude John Mark was young, and he did not. Um, it was too rough. It was too hard. We've heard that. I don't know if that's the case or not. One thing that I read that's very interesting is that John Mark might have been having trouble with what a lot of Jewish Christians were having trouble with, and that was that this gospel message was going to the Gentiles. This was, this was really strange for them. This was something that they were having to really overcome in their mind that God's plan was for the whole world. That this Messiah was not just the Messiah for the Jews. And one of the reasons that I tend to think that might have been part of the issue here is because did you know that the Gospel of Luke, I'm sorry, the Gospel of Mark is not a Gospel that was written mainly to the Jews. The Gospel of Matthew was. The Gospel of Matthew is a very Jewish Gospel. There's much in there about the Old Testament prophecies. The Gospel of Mark is not at all. There's absolutely no mention of Old Testament prophecies except at the very beginning. And there's it's it's many believe written mainly, it's written to the whole world, but mainly was written to the Greeks and to the Gentiles. And it may be that when Paul finally, at the end of his, toward the end of his life, said, Bring Timothy, bring John Mark to me, for he is profitable that maybe he knew God had gotten a hold of his heart and caused him to realize that this gospel was for the Jew and the Gentile. And then God used this very young man to write one of the main gospels to the Gentile people. So I don't know, that's that's a little bit of speculation in there, but that is what the gospel of Mark is. Um, many of the things that the Jews would have already known, Mark, we will see as we go through the book, he explains. He he, he explains to Gentile believers what this means, whereas if it had been a Jewish audience, he would not have thought to explain those things. So um, after this, of course, after um, uh, John Mark had left the group with Barnabas and Paul, let's back up a little bit, um, Paul could not tolerate that. And when they were about to go on their second missionary journey, Paul was not about to let John Mark go with them on that journey, this, of course, caused a great contention between Paul and Barnabas. So they split into two different groups, Barnabas taking John Mark with him to uh, a, a mission venture, and then Paul taking Silas, and their two missionary groups went out into the world with the gospel of Christ. But again, as we mentioned a minute ago, that wasn't the end of the story. Paul later mentions Mark's helpful activities and asked that Mark be brought with Timothy to Rome to visit with him because he was very profitable in the ministry. And as I mentioned a minute ago, the gospel of Mark is very likely the account of Peter relayed to Mark. An accurate, somebody said, an accurate record of Peter's teaching captured faithfully by Mark acting as Peter's scribe. The characteristics, the action, the bluntness would make sense to me anyhow. Um Mark and Luke, we often see them together in the New Testament. Uh, the writer of the Gospel of Luke and Acts is Luke. Clearly they knew each other and, uh, they were both Gospel authors. It's just neat to me. Mark's relationship with Peter and Luke's relationship with Paul and how God used Mark, you know, Paul gave his account and Mark, I mean, Luke wrote the book of Acts. Peter's giving his account and Mark is writing the Gospel of Mark and how God just orchestrated all of these things and put all these things together. Um, Trying to discern how much is needful here tonight, but the majority of opinion is that the Gospel of Mark was written by Mark in Rome. The Gospel of Mark was intended, again, primarily for the Gentiles. He's constantly explaining Jewish terms and customs. Now, while Matthew is a picture of Jesus, the Messiah, and the King, Mark pictures Jesus as the Messiah, the servant. As we mentioned a minute ago, Matthew's gospel portrays Jesus as the king, Mark's gospel reveals Jesus as God's servant. In Mark 10:45, is a very familiar verse, for even the son of man came not to be ministered unto. Another way to say that is to be served, but to minister or to serve and to give his life A ransom for many. Mark 10.45. That's the theme of this book. The servant, Son of God. The Gospel of Mark is filled with the miracles, miracle after miracle, powerful miracles of Jesus Christ. Illustrating over and over the compassion and the power of the Son of God. He's seen, not just as a good teacher, but actually reaching into individual people's lives their physical lives, serving them, helping them. But that wasn't his main goal. Is it important to serve people? Is it important to love people? Let me pull something out here. We were singing that song, and I bookmarked it because I thought, you know what, that verse is so good. Lead on, O King Eternal. We were just singing that a minute ago. In verse 2 it says, Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease, and holiness shall whisper the sweet amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing, nor roll of stirring drums, but with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. With deeds of love and mercy. What's that called? Deeds of love and mercy. Service. Ministry. But the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so he would serve and he would reach into the lives of individuals and he would serve and he would give and he would love. And the whole point and purpose wasn't just so that need could be met. Now, was it important for that need to be met? Well, ask the man who went to Jesus to heal his son. Was it important that his son got healed? It sure was. Ask the people who were hungry, and needed food. Was it important that they got food? sure was, but it was all pointing to a greater service that Jesus Christ had come to do. And the greatest service of all was the cross of Jesus Christ. He was going to go to the cross and bear and give, as the verse says, give his life a ransom for many. Give, give, give. Service, service, service. So all of this, the purpose pointing to the greatest way, in which Jesus Christ would serve humanity, his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. Now, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, is the introduction to the book. Verse 4 is probably where Mark actually began. And then when he got done, maybe went back, maybe you've done this before, you've done any writing, uh, went back and God led him to write the first three verses. And as an introduction. So let's take the first three verses here. Um, Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, Make his paths straight. Now, verse 4, we begin to pick up with the story of John the Baptist. John did baptize in the wilderness. In the original uh, writings, the first phrase right there, G, uh, John came. John came. And that's what it's telling us in verse 4, that John came. And a little bit later, we'll see that Jesus came. But the first three verses, they're explaining that the Old Testament prophesied that there were going to be two messengers who were going to be coming one day. And Mark, in his gospel, tells us that they came. Mark first declared, he is writing, verse 1, a beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He then, in verse 2, quotes from Malachi chapter 3. That's what verse 2 is. Um, As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. He then quotes from Isaiah in verse 3. Verse 2 references made in Malachi chapter 3, as I mentioned a minute ago, to two messengers. The messenger of the covenant and the messenger who will precede him. So the Old Testament had told the Jews, had told those who believed in that Old Testament, those prophecies, that one day... Two messengers were going to come. One was going to be the messenger of the new covenant. One was going to be the Messiah. The one who Moses said, One will come like unto me, hear ye him. But before that messenger comes, there's going to be a first messenger who will prepare the way before him. And who was that? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And Mark is saying right here at the beginning of his gospel I'm showing you who those two messengers are. I'm telling you who they are. In Malachi chapter 3, the Bible tells us there's going to be two messengers. And here they are. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Um, Isaiah chapter 40 then is verse 3. Isaiah 40 verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make Make his paths straight. Someone said reading Isaiah from the 40th chapter to the end of the prophecy of Isaiah is to see the servant of God, the suffering servant, yet victorious, suffering servant, ultimately in triumph. Mark gives an account of this one that Isaiah had long ago foretold about. That's the whole point of verses 1 through 3. Can you imagine reading this for the first time? We're used to these things, aren't we? I know I've mentioned that a lot through the book of Acts. We're used to the Gospels. We're used to the book of Acts and the epistles. But Can you imagine having studied those Old Testament prophecies? Put yourself there for a minute. And having been waiting on these things, having been taught all of these truths, maybe knowing Malachi, knowing Isaiah, Knowing that we were waiting on two messengers. And then maybe you were there when Jesus came into the scene of the world of that day. and John the Baptist. And maybe you weren't. Maybe you were in Rome or a Gentile somewhere. But you knew these truths. And then someone came along and started laying it out for you. Can you imagine the excitement? As the Holy Spirit began to prick your heart and draw you to the truth. And you began to see two messengers. Two messengers. Oh my. Boy. John came and was the first messenger. And then little later on, Jesus came, second messenger. And all these truths begin as ding, 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 makes sense. Something, isn't it? This is good news, folks. What we have in our hands tonight in the book of Mark, in Matthew, and Luke, and John, is really, really good news for us. The Messiah has come. He came, as was prophesied in Malachi, as was prophesied in Isaiah, and all through the Old Testament. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, quotes from the same passage in Isaiah. All flesh is as grass. This is the word of the gospel which was preached unto you. All these things are interconnected. So we're learning that the point is this. The gospel as recorded by Mark, which is mainly being relayed to Mark by Peter, is the starting point of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it was prophesied and written by Isaiah, Malachi, and the other prophets. And verses 1-3 through is an introduction to all that follows in this gospel. This is an account of the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The one who was foretold to come, that the prophets had said was going to come. This is how the gospel, which Isaiah predicted has come, has come to be. Light has come forth. Let me read you something G. Campbell Morgan said. Isaiah saw that the way of comfort was the way of the coming of Jehovah in his suffering and victorious servant to deal with sin and to bring in righteousness. Here then, the Gospel of Mark, is the story of how that gospel became a fact in human history. How that gospel became a fact in human history. What is the supreme subject of the book of Mark? Well, we all know that, don't we? Go back to verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. What is gospel? The word gospel comes from the word evangel. It means simply good news. Good news. Gospel means good news. Good news for who? Well, not everybody would say today that this gospel is good news for them. But it is good news for anybody who realizes who they are. Realizing who we are and who God is will cause us to see that this gospel is really, really good news. Because we are flat out sinners, aren't we? As Isaiah, this morning we heard in the passage said, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the seraphim cried, Holy, holy, holy. And what did Isaiah say? Woe is me. After all those woes that we heard about this morning, woe unto them, woe unto them, woe unto them, listing out some pretty grave sins. You know, we can do the same thing tonight, like, couldn't we? We can watch the news this past week. Right? And cast out some woes. (laughs) Right? Woe unto them. Woe unto them. And they need to be cast out, I think. But you know what revival is? What Isaiah experienced? Revival is when, yes, woe unto them, woe unto them. But then I see God, myself, and I say, woe unto me. You know what a, you know what a sign of true revival is? A sign of true revival is not just necessarily a lot of people coming into a building and great music singing and great choir singing and and strong fiery preaching being preached. Praise God for all of that. But do you want to know what revival really is? It's people getting a hold of good news. And you know what happens when they get a hold of good news? They fall flat on their face and they start crying, God have mercy on me. God have mercy on me. Because I know who I am. And I know who God is. God, have mercy. How could you ever have mercy on me for the sins that I've committed? And then we look to the cross of Jesus Christ. And we say, that's it. That's the only way. That's the only hope that any man has. Any woman, any man, any boy, any girl, any pastor, any person in the slum, any anybody, any king, any ruler. The only hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's what gospel is. Gospel is good, good news. This is the gospel for all who will see their sin and call upon the Son of God. It is the gospel of Jesus. He's the center of the gospel. Jesus himself. If there were no Jesus, there would be no gospel. If there were no Jesus, folks, you and I are in really, really big trouble. He's everything to us, amen? And this book is all about what he did when he came. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The first words of the introduction to this gospel account include the very name of Jesus. The one who came to bring the light to reveal the Father. Try to think of God. Try to comprehend God without knowing of Jesus. What you know about God tonight? Think of Him without knowing of Jesus. We can think of God's power. We can think of the world, the universe, Him working in our lives, or in the lives of the Old Testament saints. All of that, but Jesus, someone said, brought God down to us, where we could watch Him, walk with Him, follow Him, listen to Him talk. Isn't that something? When, don't we take these things for granted that we have right here sitting on our laps tonight? Seeing Jesus Christ, the servant, son of God, following him through a gospel like Mark. The gospel of Jesus, what's the next word? Christ. And that means something, doesn't it? I often tell children when I'm teaching them, you know, Christ wasn't his last name. Jesus Christ. We need to be explained. This needs to be explained to us again Today. In our world. Christ means something. Why Christ is the very title of the Old Testament Messiah. The anointed one. It's the same word. It's the same meaning. Jesus isn't just Jesus of Nazareth. He's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus is the Christ. The Messiah. The Galilean peasant. Who was the anointed Messiah. Isn't God something? What he has done. And then... The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is deity, infinite power, though human, yet God. And we will see that as we go through the book of Mark. Let me read this to you. We'll be done. He came. He came. The soul, the most full of love, the most sacredly virtuous, the most deeply inspired by God and the future that men have yet seen on earth, Jesus. He bent over the corpse of the dead world and whispered a word of faith over the clay that had lost all of man but the movement and the form. He uttered words until then unknown, love, sacrifice, a heavenly origin. And the dead arose. A new life circulated through the clay, which philosophy had tried in vain to reanimate. From that corpse arose a Christian world, the world of liberty and equality. From that clay arose the true man, the image of God, the precursor of humanity. He came. Aren't we glad tonight that he came? The gospel is the good news of Jesus, the anointed Son of God. When we come back to this next week, we'll pick it up in verse 4. John came baptizing the first messenger. We'll pick it up there.